Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from His letter that He wrote to us. All right, God bless you. Welcome into this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're going to do a little question and answer today on, on in this episode. I really enjoy doing these because we get to answer what it is that y'all want to know. What what sparks y'all's interest and and really get it onto a personal account instead of just a, a study chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Nothing but not that there's anything wrong with the study. But at this point, you know, we can reach out and really, I guess, get just personal with it, what you're wondering. So we've got a few questions here, and we will just work them right on out. So first up, what is the unforgivable sin? In Luke chapter 12, oh, where is it? Let me see here. Luke chapter 12, you can go to start at verse 8. It says, and this is Christ speaking. He says, Also I say unto you, whomsoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of God also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels. Verse 10, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. So how can you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? A lot of people will say, well, you know, just believing or, or not believing in him or, or all kind of different things. Well, Christ goes right on in and tells you how you blaspheme against him. Verse 11, And when they bring you into the synagogues and under the magistrates and the powers, take you no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. Now, this is in that hour of temptation. This is when, you know, the they're sitting there trying to just browbeat you, and, and that synagogue of Satan is working wide open. Verse 12, For the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, shall teach you in the same hour what you, what you ought to say. So, in that hour that we're delivered up before Satan, as Antichrist, he's going to be pretending to be Christ, and he's going to be doing a really good job at it. Everybody, the whole world, will be deceived. But there's those few that are going to be delivered up, and it's their job, they're called the elect, and it's their job to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through them to crush his head. Now, you know, we can't crush Satan's head, but God through us can. And we're not supposed to sit up there and hold in. We're not supposed to not speak. When the Holy Spirit's supposed to come through you, you're supposed to let it go. And if you hold back, that's unforgivable. And on the other side, if you decide you want to put a little in on it, well, that's unforgivable also because God knows exactly what he wants to say and he don't need our help saying it. All right, what's next? Uh, why did God not talk to Abraham until Lot left? All right, well, we just covered that. And that is back in Genesis. Oh, let me see here. Verse 12, I mean, chapter 12. And it says, when you pick it up in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, had said unto Abraham. So he'd already told him this. Just before this, in verse 32 of the chapter 11, Abraham's father died. 
So he was hanging around with his dad. Now, once his father died, then, you know, it kind of, he lost his kindred attachment in this land. And he said, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. So he waited until then, uh, like I said, until his father died. And then he decided to make a move. And he said, I'll make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thee a great name, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse thee that curseth thee, or curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, if you come on down to verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto, the, unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar to the Lord who appeared unto him. So at that point he did, Lot was still with him, and he did come to him. And then whenever you get on down into that chapter, Father also had divine protection, I guess you could say, over Abram, as that he sent a plague on to Pharaoh and his house. Whenever you get over to verse 17, he did this to protect Sarai at the time and Abram. So he did still have his hand on him, and, and he still was protecting him, and he did come to him that one time uh, that we know of before. He could have come to him more than that, but that's the, that's the time that was recorded. All right, let's see here. Are the trumps and the seals in chronological order? The trumps are in chronological order. Now, the seals, the seven seals are not in chronological order, but they are in order of importance. The very first seal, God wants you to know that there is a rider coming on a white horse with a bow on his head. And that bow in the Greek is toxon, and that is a fabric imitation, a cheap imitation. So it's not that Shekinah glory, that, that prism of light that comes with the altar of God, but it's a fake crown. And he goes out to conquer and, 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 and he goes out conquering and to conquer. Well, Christ don't have to go out to conquer and, and, and do all that. At seventh trump, every knee bows. As soon as he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, the whole world bows to him. It's conquered. Now, this guy going out to conquer and, and having to go out and do all that, that's the Antichrist. And that's what God wants you to know first. And, and as I said, that the seals are in the list of importance whereas the trumps are chronological. All right. So if Israel is the nation of the Jews, where are the rest of the tribe? Okay. So that's right. So there, are, there were 12 tribes. Now Judah and Benjamin stayed in what is now Israel, what is, what is modern-day the nation of Israel. But there are 10 other tribes that aren't there right now, or maybe there are a few remnant there. But for the most part, after Solomon, when his son Rehoboam took over, uh, he, was, he was kind of a spoiled, he, you know, he was a spoiled kid. And he thought, you know, hey, I'm the king, I've got all the power. And matter of fact, he did tell his buddies at one time. You see, Jeroboam came to him to ask him to kind of lighten up. He was making it hard on the slaves, or well, not necessarily slaves, but on the workers. And they, Jeroboam came to him to tell him, you know, kind of ease up, man. You've got all kind of nice, fancy houses and everything you could possibly want. How about we've worked for you for so long and for your dad? How about you let us go back and work in our field? And he said, 
basically his strength, his dad's strength was, or his, it, how did he put it? His dad's loins weren't as, as strong as his pinky finger. And uh, so he was a little, had quite the ego. So at that point, the 10 tribes, the 10 northern tribes, broke away. And they began, there, you see in the Old Testament, a lot referred to Ephraim. And that's the 10 northern tribes. It was the biggest tribe of the 10. And they began their own kingdom. So you had the two northern, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and then the 10 northerns. Well, the Assyrian came in and took captive those 10 northern tribes. And during that captivity, they basically dispersed, okay? And they continued. You can look at migration charts and everything. And basically, they went north out of Israel, uh, kind of around the sea there, and then back around in the Caucasus Mountains, out of the Caucasus Mountains, and, and later settled Europe and around that area. And from there, they also migrated into the Americas and Canada and, and around in there. So the whenever we say that Abraham's seed was going to be more numerous than the stars of the sky and more abundant than the sands of the sea, well, that's how, because the tribes of Israel are all around the world now. All right, so next question. Was Christ born on Christmas or in September? There's a lot of speculation around that, and the book of Luke will clarify that for you. Luke chapter 1. Let me turn there right quick. That way I get it, get the verse right. I don't want to just shoot from the hip and miss it. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. All right, it goes, it talks about Zacharias. Now, Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist. This verse 5 is important because it, it, he was a priest, and it says that he was, at the, he was of the course of Abiah. Now, that gives you a date. The course of Abiah is the eighth course in the courses of the priests, and it takes place between June 13th and 19th. So we know that right after the, his course, while he was serving in the temple, the angel of the Lord came to him and told him, hey, you're going to have a kid, and you're going to name him John. And he said, well, nobody in my family is named John. Well, then they took his speech from him. You, know, you don't talk back. And so he went home to Elizabeth, and they conceived. Well, then six months later, Gabriel came to Mary and told her, you're going to have a son. Which is kind of funny. Elizabeth was they, Elizabeth and Zechariah were a little too old to be having kids. And at the same time, Mary was too young. She was a virgin, you know. She, it, it, both of them were out of their time. But both of them had a very good reason. So six months later, that puts you at around December... 13th to 19th, 20th, around in there, you give him a week to get home, it puts you around Christmas time. That was the conception of Christ. Then whenever they sent the census out for Mary and Joseph to have to go to Bethlehem to put in, you know, to, for the census, that's why she, in heavy labor and heavy pregnancy, that's why she would be able to, to make that journey. If it would have been the middle of December, or the end of December, the middle of winter, that would have been a really hard time to go. And at the same time, the, the shepherds were in the field, and, you know, the, the Romans weren't dumb. Whenever they gave a census, they weren't going to make you travel in the worst time of the year. September, it's kind of cooling off into September. And so, you know, it's decent traveling weather. 
So he was conceived, Christ was conceived around the end of December and born the end of September. But at the same time, when Mary walked into into Elizabeth's house, John being in the womb at six months leapt because he felt the Spirit of God in Mary's womb. That tells you right there that life begins at conception. All these arguments and all these all the junk that's going on in the world today, this this it's just well it's junk and I'll just leave it right there, but it is terrible about when life actually begins. Is it the first breath or is it this trimester? Is it no, it's at conception. At conception, the spirit enters the womb, and that's when life begins. All right. Next question. Did Jacob cheat Esau out of his inheritance because Esau married Hittites? Well, okay, so that's kind of a two-part question. Yes, well, let's see. Let's start with Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. And Paul would quote this, I believe, in Romans chapter 8. God says, I, Esau, or Jacob I loved and Esau I hated from the womb. Okay, so that takes you back to the first you got to understand the first earth age. So as far as Jacob cheating Esau, and we're going we're gonna to be getting there in just a lecture, in a study or two, but as far as him cheating Esau out of this, if you go to Genesis chapter 25, and let's see, you can pick it up in verse 29. So Esau was a hunter, and... Jacob was not. And Jacob sawed pottage. This is verse 29. Jacob sawed pottage. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. All right, he was hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. All right, so at that point you see that Esau, his name was changed to Edom because Edom means red or uh, ruddy. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. For this bowl of mush, this this bowl of oatmeal, basically, all right? And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. Now, he went hunting for a day, and he's facing to die of starvation. And what profit shall this birthright be to me? He could care less about a birthright. You know, you reckon that might be why God hated him a little bit, because he could care less about his inheritance. We have a great inheritance with God. And if you could care less about that, well, you just go by the wayside. Verse 33, And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. So right there, Esau sold this. So as far as, him cheating, as, far as Jacob cheating Esau, he bought it from him. He bought his birthright. So it's kind of that Esau was trying to sneak in there and take it back from Jacob because Isaac didn't know anything about it. But yes, the Hittites were also a deal Basically, the line needed to be pure. The gene, the, the gene line needed to be pure, and the Hittites were not a part of the Edemic line. So that canceled Esau out of any of those um, privileges, I guess you could say. All right. And if the rapture is false, then explain the two in the field and the one taken. Okay, so that is Matthew 24. We'll just go over there right quick. Matthew 24. In the beginning, you got to go all the way back to the beginning of this chapter. And 
What's it talking about? Verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall be not, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. All right, so he's fixing to get into what's going to happen at his return. And as you study the seals and the trumps, or the seals, you see that verse from verse 4 to verse, where does it go here? All the way to verse 31. Christ gives you the seven seals. So then, he's telling you what it's going to be like at the end. So verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the man be, the, the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the, in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now we've studied that uh, the, the marrying and giving in marriage, if you go to Jude chapter 1, which is only one chapter, verse 6, the days are the fallen angels. And that's exactly what was going on. That was the cause, or that was the reason for Noah's flood. Verse 39, And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, you remember also in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon issues out that flood of lies. Okay? So verse 40, Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now, what's the field? Christ will explain in Mark, I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 13 that the field is the world. So if you're in the field, what are you doing? You're sowing seeds in the field. You're working. We're, we are supposed to be workmen for God. We're supposed to be doing His work. And if one's taken and one's left, that one is still working. What does that mean? That means that there's still work to be done. This time isn't done yet. The seventh trump has not sounded. And the one that left was harvested out of season. Verse 41, there, there'd be two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. So these two women are grinding at the mill. The one's still left grinding. Well, what do you, what do you make at the mill? You grind your powder to make your bread. And Christ is the bread of life. And so if this one is still over here grinding and still making these ingredients for this bread and the other one's left, well, then that means there's still word to be taught here. We're supposed to still be, we're supposed to keep on plowing. But these two have jumped ship a little early. It means they've been deceived. It means the Antichrist has shown up with this flood and they've been taken by this flood of lies. They think he is Christ. They don't understand that the first seal says, you got this dude coming that is very beautiful. And he looks like Christ, but he's not. As it says in Revelation, he has two horns as a lamb, but he spake as a dragon. He looks like the lamb slain, but he's doing nothing but smoke and mirrors. So, and, and really, you know, just to kind of drive that home we'll go back to Ezekiel chapter 13 Ezekiel now this is one to remember Ezekiel chapter 13 and it'll be verse 13 is getting on to false prophets false teachers and verse 2 says son of man prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts so let's go on over here to verse 18 of this same chapter, the Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 18. 
and say, Thus saith the Lord, Woe to the women that sew pillows to all the armholes, and make kerchiefs upon the head of every statue to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people, and will ye save the souls alive that come unto you? Now, these kerchiefs, you know, we're supposed to keep our head covered with Christ. Uh, Paul would say in, in the Corinthians that a woman that does not have her head covered with Christ It'd be a shame because of the angels. What angels? Those fallen angels. Those those misleading spirits. So here they're making these these pillows and these these kerchiefs, these false coverings. That's these false spirits that they're teaching here, and they're hunting the people. They're trying to. They have their way of salvation. It's not God's salvation. This is their salvation that they're teaching. Verse nineteen. And will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread? So you're going to follow the doctrine of Balaam and you're going to teach for money. That's what you're doing here. To slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live. So you got your own little salvation here and all these folks that should be innocent, that should believe upon Christ or believe in this other false doctrine. And they're going to end up getting killed in the midst of this, spiritually. They're going to be spiritually dead. And all those that shouldn't that, that are believing this false doctrine, then they're going to, they think that they're alive, but they're not supposed to be alive spiritually. But they, well, it just feels so good. By your lying to my people that hear your lies. Verse 20, Wherefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith ye there hunt the souls to make them fly. What does that sound like? And I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls go, even the souls that you hunt, to make them fly. You're going to fly away. They're going to gather everybody up, and, and that, that one with the lamb's horns that spake as the dragon is going to say, Well, come on, we, we got to get out of here. The Antichrist is coming. Let's fly on out of here. Everybody's going to gather up, and they're going to be ready to fly with this false doctrine. And all of a sudden, that's why Christ comes as a thief in the night. They think he's here, and he's going to show up. And then that's where the apostasy is. Because those folks have been going to church their whole life and they've been listening to these false prophets that have these, these false salvation messages that's not of God. And all of a sudden, Antichrist is here and all is Christ. And that's why they will say, I healed in your name and I did work in your name. And Christ will say, get away from me, I never knew you. It's not because they didn't know him. And, and it's not because they were just, you know, just non-believers. They really thought they were believing in Christ. They really thought they were working for Christ. But when the Antichrist showed up, they began working for him, and they were ready to jet right on out of here. But it's our job, just as we talked about earlier with the unpardonable sin, it's our job to stand tough, to stand firm and stand against those powers and principalities. That's where the armor of God comes in. And in that armor of God, we don't have a parachute, we don't have a rocket pack. We're supposed to stand and fight. We also don't have a shield on our back because we're not supposed to run away either. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the questions. That was a, that was a good one to end on. So, Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 20 gets that real well said. Woe to those who teach my people to fly to save their souls. All right. God bless you, and y'all have a great day. Uh, enjoy doing the questions. If y'all have any, just keep sending them in. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. 
If you have any questions, you can go to our website at www.humansundergrace.com and under the Contact Us page, submit your question. Also, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691. Thank you, and God bless you.